Hey, y'all. We were so excited to talk to the authors of The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages, Dr. Marcus Warner and Reverend Chris Corsi. Dr. Warner is a conference speaker and author who has spent over 30 years helping people and organizations navigate some of life's toughest challenges. He's also the president of Deeper Walk International. Reverend Chris Corsi is the president of Thrive Today, a nonprofit ministry focusing on training leaders and communities in the 19 skills that make relationships work. Guys, we got into so much amazing stuff in this episode that we can't wait to jump right in. We hope you all enjoy. Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. For years, we were stuck in a rut, always complaining that nothing ever changed for us. And then we realized if we wanted to improve our lives, we had to put in the work. Each week on this podcast, we'll get into an aspect of personal growth, relationships, or just life. Through our own experiences and guest interviews, we hope to inspire you to make your own positive changes. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Podcast. Today, we're so excited to welcome Dr. Marcus Warner and the Reverend Chris Corsi to the Fools in Love Podcast. Marcus and Chris are the authors of The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriages, How 15 Minutes a Day Will Help You Stay in Love. Thank you both for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Megan. Yeah, good to be here. Welcome, guys. Welcome. So before we get started, can you just tell us a little more about what you do and what led you to write this book? So I'll go first. I, uh, I, my, this is Marcus. I'm the uh, president of Deeper Walk International. We do... Um, a wide variety of training events, mostly for churches, everything from leadership to discipleship to trauma recovery work. And uh, all of our our work uh, takes us into Bible. It takes us into recovery, into, you know, brain science and into a lot of uh, issues. And so what we've done as an organization is we've created a, a, a model that tries to bring the best of everything together into one place and, and make it simple for people and in the process of all that, one of the uh, things that has come to the forefront is the need for joy in life and how without joy, you can't bounce back from hard things. You can't handle the, the hardships of life. And that that applies to a lot of very specific contexts. And one of those contexts is marriage. We find that a lot of Christian marriages, especially, are, are, um, are struggling to, to feel like they, they know how to find joy. And so uh, Chris is a bit of a brain science expert himself. So uh, the two of us partnered together and putting a book together to try to help people uh, understand that joy isn't just the icing on the cake that happens once in a while by accident. It's actually foundational to to marriage that there's some habits we can develop to to make that um, a more regular occurrence. Yes. And uh, my name's Chris Corsi. My wife and I run a ministry, my wife, Jen, and I run a ministry called Thrive Today. And just as Marcus said, you know, joy is foundational. So joy is one of the relational skills that we train at Thrive Today. So we see joy as a skill that we can learn, which is really good news. Even if, you know, those who are listening um, as talk about joy today might think, oh, great. You know, I'm I'm in trouble. I don't have a lot of joy. Well, the good news is you can learn to grow more joy. It's it's a trainable skill. Um, so we also focus on 18 other skills um, besides joy, but joy is like the foundational skill. And Marcus and I were really excited to write a book that we could uh, share with couples to basically give them hope, give them a language, give them some practice to grow their joy. So we're really excited to be here today. 
Oh, we love that. I mean, I think all married couples can agree that adding more joy to their marriage would only benefit their relationship. Yes, that's right. Even couples who would say they're happily married are probably ready to have some more joy. Yeah, in our book, we talk about uh, a joy gap, that every marriage has a joy gap in it. And a joy gap is essentially the amount of time between moments of shared joy as a married couple. And like I said, even happily married couples, oftentimes what will happen is that that time between shared joy can begin to expand. And if it gets too long, uh, we start to feel isolated. We start to feel lonely. And the, and the bigger that joy gap gets, the easier it is to fill with bad stuff. You know, it's easier to become resentful. It's easier to become bitter. It's easier to become fearful. It's easier to feel like, you know, to start believing lies. So all the, a lot of the negative things that happen in our marriages happen during the joy gap. Uh, which is happening between these moments of, of shared joy together. Yeah. So if you've got a good marriage, the goal is, hey, how can we uh, keep it that way and keep our joy gap as short as possible? And if we're struggling a little bit, maybe we need to get joy on the radar so we can begin uh, closing our, our gap so that we have joy on a more regular basis. Yeah, and that is the hope, you know, that uh, no matter where our joy levels are, we can always grow more joy. It's doable, and there's a lot of things that poke holes in our joy balloons in life, right? And our marriage is usually one of the first things that that suffers when those joy levels drop. So Marcus and I are bringing some good news today that, that it's possible to grow more joy. There's actually things that you can do with how God created our brain uh, to make some changes, and it's it's really not all that hard. It feels pretty hard when the joy levels are low, but growing joy is doable and it is possible. Yeah, that's very encouraging news because I was very fascinated by the whole idea of this joy gap. And when you read about it and you guys personally in the book, just talk about personal experiences or people you've dealt with. And it's amazing how with such little, like small enough exercises, because it's always amazing to me, it's we blow things up as humans. Like it's like everything is so difficult, but in reality, it's like in your book, 15 minutes a day and you can bring so much more joy in your relationship. It's, it's really that simple. It certainly can be. And now we do want to put a caveat on here. And that is that if your marriage is in crisis, you're probably not going to grow a lot of joy. Um, this book isn't going to turn your marriage around necessarily. There's still some things that you've got to do when there's a crisis, but what we found is that putting joy into the uh, into the process can actually give you more capacity to deal with some of the hard stuff. Now, so that's our goal is, is that we don't want to create the impression for people that you don't have to deal with any of the hard stuff in your marriage. But what we found is that by building more joy gives you the capacity to actually go through that and end out more relationally connected. Yeah. And that brings hope. You know, when, when you're suffering, you're, the way that the brain works is the brain always looks behind in, in the rearview mirror to predict what's going to happen in the future. So if things have been hard for some time, your brain looks back at all the hard stuff and it just assumes things are always going to be hard, right? So when you insert some joy into the, into the equation, as Marcus said, joy really gives us endurance and it helps us to suffer well, so that even if things are hard and they're beyond our control, what joy does is it makes the hard stuff more manageable, and um, it really helps us recover from painful emotions. So joy is a habit that Marcus and I really want to encourage couples to, to insert into their marriages. 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I appreciate you saying that Marcus as well, because obviously we've talked to people all the time that are struggling and, and, you know, you don't want to be like, this book's a fix all. Like we always talk about on our show, how marriage is a struggle. It's hard. I mean, it's two people living together in one union. It's a difficult thing. Um, I did have a question going with the joy gap as well. Uh, Do you guys find that there's a difference between joy and happiness? Well, it's a good question. I would put uh, joy under the category of happiness. That is that happiness and joy are related. Um, I would define joy as relational happiness. It's the uh, um, happiness that you feel when you know someone's happy to be with you. Uh, There is a lot of confusion on this. It's probably worth diving into the brain science on it just a little bit to clear this up because there's a lot of uh, Christian resources, especially that say joy is a choice. And just kind of point out that the way that the brain operates is that joy occurs on the right hemisphere of the brain and choices occur in the left hemisphere of the brain. And the flow of activity in your brain always moves from right to left, which means because it's always flowing from right to left, the joy, there's a greater chance that your high joy or your lack of joy is going to influence your choices than the other way around. The, uh, if you notice, like when you have a lot of joy, you know, you make one set of choices. And when you're a low joy, you can make completely different choices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because the, the flow of brain activity actually moves that direction. Now, what would be more accurate is to say there are choices that you can make that increase the odds of joy taking place. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to encourage is what sort of choices can we make? What's that lead to habits that are going to make joy more possible? But what we can't do physically from a brain perspective is actually just choose to be happy, right? Or just choose to be joyful. Um, we can choose our attitude. We can choose to focus on what we appreciate. We can uh, choose to be kind. You know, we can choose to uh, be curious. There's a lot of things we can choose to do, um, but but they don't necessarily create happiness in and of themselves. Happiness is a feeling that comes uh, because I, f- uh, I feel connected with somebody and I feel like that person's happy to, to have me around. And that's a, that's a very important point that Marcus shares because a lot of us feel pretty hope, hopeless because we feel like we're trying to make all the right choices. We're trying to use our willpower to somehow muster joy out of like nothing. Like if we just could, could really white knuckle this a little more, somehow joy will just happenstance enter into the picture. Um, but the good news is joy is a habit, which means with a little bit of practice, um, much to your surprise, joy will actually change your brain and it changes your relationship, which then also changes how you feel. It changes how you think. And as Marcus said, it changes the choices that you make. So joy is a lot like breathing. Breathing's really good for us, right? We need oxygen. Um, So in a sense, joy is, you know, our marriages need joy, just like our bodies need some oxygen. And when we breathe, a lot of good things happen from there. So as we insert joy into the equation, a lot of good things begin to happen in our marriages. Okay. So you guys have both said the word habits a few times. Let's, let's go there. Um, what habits can we introduce to learn to add that joy back into our marriage or get it in the first place if we never had it maybe? Well, that's, uh, that's why we got the title, the, the four habits, right? Of joy filled <laughs> marriages. And I think uh, to make this as simple as possible, we uh, spelled the word plan um, to help people remember these four habits. It's like, I need a plan to shrink the joy gap. That's the idea. What is my plan for shrinking the joy gap? And uh, I'll just walk through them real quickly. It's um, P is play together. 
it's funny how quickly we stop playing together and our marriage sort of becomes a business um, <laughs> of just managing everything that has to be managed. So playing together is one. Two is appreciation and appreciating daily. A lot of times uh, we say thank you quickly, but we don't take the time to really appreciate what we're seeing um, from our husband or our wife and express that and stay in that moment for uh, for a few minutes. Um, the third one is listening for emotion, and we'll explain that maybe more a little bit later, but your left brain listens for problems and your right brain listens for emotions. And so we find that helping people focus on listening for emotions um, really helps to uh, set the stage for joy to develop. And then the last one is nurturing a rhythm. And that is, you can't be up all of the time. So you've got to have already built in, you know, when do I need a break? When do I need a breather? When do I need to relax and calm and quiet together. And so what we're trying to do is establish a relational rhythm or relational routine to our marriage so that I know there are things I can count on, that I know I can count on being together um, in this happy thing. And I also know there's times I can count on being together when we're just quiet. So those are the four habits. Play together, um, listen for emotion, appreciate daily, and uh, nurture a rhythm. I think I flipped the order the first time. but. <laughs> Yeah. But those four habits are very practical. So we have 15-minute exercises, as you shared earlier, like woven throughout this book. So under each habit, um, there's some very simple, fun, engaging little exercises that you can do. Because um, as far as your brain's concerned, a little bit of joy goes a long way. And so my wife and I have um, done these exercises. There's evenings where, honestly... Um, I don't feel like doing an exercise. I'm tired. My back hurts because I have, I have back pain. So at the end of the day, I'm pretty crispy. And my wife will very graciously say, honey, let's do it. Let's do one of these exercises. And, and I think to myself, oh boy, you know, I'm just, I'm so tired. I don't know, but we do the exercise. And after we do the exercise, we go, why don't we just do this all the time? Like, that's amazing. This simple little 10, 15 minute exercise. I'm feeling glad to be with my wife. I'm uh, I'm feeling more engaged in the moment. Uh, even some of my back pain feels more manageable than it did before. Um, so just a little bit of joy really does give us um, some strength, we might say, to to better navigate what's going on in the moment. So um, I, I really encourage couples, just even if you don't feel like doing an exercise in the moment, um, you know, set aside 10, 15 minutes try some of the steps. And I, and I think the most common feedback we get from these exercises is people are surprised. Like, you know, I didn't think anything would happen when we tried this exercise, but we did the exercise and I was surprised by how I felt or how we connected. Um, so yeah, joy is, it's very, can be very subtle sometimes, but it, it, it can add some wind into our relational sales. Right. Absolutely. I'm, I was just laughing to myself, Chris, because I'm like, you guys write a book, The Four Habits of Joy-Filled Marriage. And then you're like, I don't really want to do that. And your wife's yep. like, but honey, you wrote a book. You have totally. to do it. Oh, totally. And, she, and she'll gladly play that card. Honey, you wrote a book about this. Like, this is what we do. Oh, I am sure you know? she would. <laughs> But yeah, you mentioned playing together as a habit, and we often talk about on the podcast and on our social media all about our love of having fun as a couple, and we honestly aren't able to get out that much, but we aim for like weekly at-home date nights, which we talk about a lot, and we'll have a chance to like play board games, laugh, talk together, but what do you guys find as like an easy way, but also effective to just have more time to play together? 
Yeah, that is a good question. We uh, have tried to build in a, a lot of simple little things. One of them is just taking a walk around the block. It takes about five, 10 minutes. And uh, we usually do it at sunset, you know, and, uh, the, and so that we can enjoy that. Um, we like to, uh, um, there's a pretty part of town that we like to go and just walk, you know, walk around that part of town, maybe grab a uh, an ice cream cone or something, you know, while we're out. And then it, again, it only takes a half an hour and you're down there and you're, uh, you're back. Uh, we like to play cards um, and sit, we'll, we'll, we'll play cards together and, um, you know, there's a lot of little things you can do. My wife collects um, memory pictures on her uh, Facebook page and she's got, you know, and she likes to go back and review uh, happy moments from our, our family history together. And uh, there's a lot of little things you can do that are uh, build relationship and are enjoyable. Don't take a lot of time. Yeah. And that's the key, you know, keep it practical. If it becomes too sophisticated, odds are very high, you're not going to do it. And so uh, recently my wife and I had a nice little getaway for our anniversary. We kept it very simple. We were really interested in just having some quality time together. Um, we watched an amazing sunset. Uh, and we, we walked along the beach here in Michigan and we you know we just, we tried to keep it very practical, um, but it was really some quality uh, time together, having fun together without high expectations that it has to be perfect. It's like, okay, what can we do with our bandwidth and the time that we have? And, and a lot of research has come out uh, in these past several years about the importance of play. And one of the great play researchers, uh, Dr. Stuart Brown, basically says play is the single most um, important factor in the success of a marriage is how well do you play together? And so Marcus and I say play is a reflection of the joy that we have. So whatever time you have, whatever uh, capacity you have in a given day, just try to find some good connection uh, and have fun together. I love that. I love that you guys are actually finding things that are practical and simple and not time consuming. Because like you said, once it becomes complicated, you're not going to do it. And so the easier, the simpler, the better odds are that you're going to do that. So that's awesome. Also, where are you at in Michigan? We grew up in Michigan. Oh, my wife and I live in Holland, Michigan. So right on the west side of Michigan. Gotcha. We grew up in the Flint area. Oh, yeah. We, we love Michigan. It's, it's a beautiful place. We just actually traveled up to Traverse City, which is a wonderful place for a getaway and just to ha- enjoy some sunsets and get outside and have some fun. Love it. All right. I wanted to go just a bit deeper for a second and talk about a marriage that might be struggling a little bit more. What if one or both people in the marriage have sort of checked out of the relationship? What can they do to kind of get even to a place where this joy thing is even going to be possible for them? You know, that is a good question. I remember doing a marriage retreat one time and our opening exercise um, was one I had learned from Chris (laughs) and it was to have the couple sit um, with their knees touching, holding hands and looking each other in the eyes and told them this is not a stare down competition, you know, look away as often as you need to. Um, but the goal is to remember what it's like just to look into the other person's eyes and be happy to be with them. And then, you know, look away as you need a little break and you're getting overwhelmed, look back. And it's kind of funny because you hear a lot of giggling in the room and you hear a lot of laughter. Uh, <laughs> but there was one couple that just could not do it. I mean, they couldn't look at each other at all. And uh, later in the weekend, I found out they had, they had literally already filed for divorce. And I'm not sure why they were there, <laughs> but uh, uh, friends of theirs had given up their spot at the retreat, said, why don't you take it? They decided to come. 
And uh, yeah, when you've got that much between you and just looking into the other person's eyes is more than you can handle. Uh, you know, you've got some significant, significant issues there. Now I will tell you the, uh, the rest of that story is that that couple is still together. They, uh, they wow. made it, they made it through that retreat. They uh, canceled their divorce uh, papers and um, uh, they still have issues and they still have things they're working on. But one of the things that happens is when you practice joy, you remember why you like this person in the first place. And some of this is giving yourself permission to have joy, even if everything isn't all solved. Um, a lot We're so problem focused. A lot of us feel like if the problem's still there, then I can't enjoy being with you. And some of this is saying, no, let's give ourselves permission to enjoy what there is to enjoy, even while we're working on our problems. And that's uh, um, probably the, the best advice I'd give to uh, people who are struggling in a deep part of the marriage is that is you're going to keep working on it. You know, a common one these days is someone feels betrayed by pornography, you know, and, and all the rest of that. And it's like there are things you've got to do to work on that. I actually have a book called The Six Battle, on Six Battle Strategies for Overcoming Pornography. So we and deal with uh, you know, women's groups and men's groups on this issue. And what you find is a lot of women, when they feel betrayed, you know, it's very hard to feel much joy, you know, with this person that you feel betrayed by. And so what you're looking at is you got to make a decision. Do I still want to be married? And if I still want to be married, then what kind of a marriage do I want? Right? And I probably would rather have a marriage that's got some joy in it than one that doesn't. So why don't, on top of everything else that we're doing, why don't we add some uh, joy exercises into that um, process to see if that doesn't help? Yeah. And God created our brain as an amplifier. And so that couple that Marcus described, their brain was amplifying the bad stuff. They were in pain and your brain's going to amplify whatever is in the environment. And so if there's a lot of hopelessness, you're going to amplify hopelessness, which means making it bigger. If there's a lot of betrayal, well, that's going to get bigger. Uh, you're just going to swim in that soup. And so what happens with joy is you're actually inserting something into the brain that it can amplify that's good, that's life-giving, um, that's a really good motivator. And so uh, kind of throughout the book, we say a little bit of joy goes a long way. And literally, a little bit of joy does go a long way for your brain because it will then, it's like a snowball, a little bit of snow, throw a little more snow on that, that snowball is going to get bigger. And that's what happens with joy. So when I think about joy, my brain starts to amplify that. But when I share that with my spouse, whether it's through a story or through that exercise that Marcus describes, that is making that joy snowball bigger because now it's it's being amplified and we're sharing it and it's growing. So thinking about the good stuff, sharing the good stuff, and and savoring the good stuff just really primes us for more joy in our marriages. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I love that idea of just building, building on itself. And of course you use the analogy of snow being up in Michigan, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, um, Marcus earlier, you had mentioned talking about listening for emotion. And this was like a very fascinating part of your guys' book. And the more I read it, the more I was like, man, I am guilty of not doing this at all. So could you just explain a little bit more at what you mean by listening for emotion? Yeah, certainly. Um, the key idea here is validation and learning how to validate emotions. Um, and the process of validation means that I have to listen for your emotion, name it accurately, and uh, show that I have some understanding of why you feel that way. 
Um, what we tend to do when we listen is we listen for problems. In fact, a lot of times um, the person we're listening to is the problem. <laughs> and so I, I have no curiosity about how they're feeling. I have no curiosity about what they're thinking because I think I have them all figured out. So especially in marriage where I, you spend so much time with each other, it can be easy to lose curiosity. And when you, when you do, when you lose that, you no longer care what they think or how they're feeling. And the main reason is that you think you already know. Mm -hmm. And so you stop asking and you stop pushing into those areas and you stop expressing and validating the emotions that you do here. Um, and when that happens, you, the relational circuits in your brain literally shut off. And instead of t dealing with a person now, I am dealing with a problem who's sitting in front of me. And if I treat my wife like she's a problem, <laughs> you know, our relationship isn't going to have much joy. So I found that one of the ways to practice curiosity is to um, be intentional about listening for the emotion that's being expressed and then accurately naming that emotion. Um, and that's the simple practice. Um, we did this, uh, did this with a uh, premarital counseling situation several years ago and I put this story in the book where the, uh, couple was talking about a problem that they had in their marriage. You could watch this couple that came in all lovey and holding hands and making googly eyes at each other, just push away and shut down. And, you know, uh, their relational circuits went off. They, they couldn't remember what they appreciated about this other person. You know, everything about their demeanor changed because um, as they talked about problems, they didn't know how to stay relational when they did. So, I said, okay, let's stop this exercise and let's try something different. Now, instead of listening for the problem and coming up with an answer to the problem, all I want you to do is name the emotion accurately that your, your husband or your wife or to be, in this case, they were engaged, um, is feeling. So I said, we start with the guy and he listened and honestly, he just botched it completely. It's like <laughs> she was talking about how she felt fear that he was going to get so caught up with this project he wanted to do that he would be emotionally disengaged as they approached their big wedding day. And, um, and uh, it was very clear that she was feeling ang anxious. Um, so when I turned to him and said, okay, what emotion did you, did you hear? He said, well, I heard anger. And it caught me off guard. I'm like, how did you possibly hear anger there? And he said, I heard anger because she knows she's losing this argument and it's making her mad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells you a lot right there, doesn't it? And that is that this guy's right brain is totally shut down. He's completely in the problem solving part of his left brain. He's seeing his wife to be as a problem. He's not seeing her as a person. So we did the exercise again. I said, this time, tell her the emotion she thinks she's feeling. <laughs> and to his credit, he hit a home run. He did it perfectly. And he says, she's feeling anxious and I'm going to get caught up in this project that I'm not going to be emotionally available. On one of the biggest days of her life, she's, you know, going to feel disconnected from me. And she started to cry, right? Because she's now feeling seen. She's feeling heard. She's feeling understood. And in her tears, she's like, okay, go ahead with the project. Um, and I'm like, wait a second, not quite that, you know, fast. And I have her do the exercise where she says, uh, listens to him. And he's like, well, there are no emotions to my decision. It's just logic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I said, well, I'll let her ask you a few questions. And they start pushing in and find out that what he really wants at an emotional level is he wants to make his dad proud of him. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to have their house already built before they got married so they could move straight in. 
And his main motivation, it turned out, was very emotional. And it was that he knew how proud of him his dad would be if he could do this. So now they're both crying, right? (laughs) Because now they both see each other, understand each other at a totally different level. And it happened specifically because they did one thing. And that was they listened for the emotion that the other person was, was feeling. They helped draw that emotion out. They named it accurately. And uh, in that process, they both felt so seen and heard and connected that really the, the solution to the problem almost didn't matter anymore. Now, people are always curious, and the answer was they waited till after the marriage to build the house. But uh, <laughs> that is, <laughs> um, but that was the process. And that was one of the first times, too, it just became really, really clear to me how important this idea of listening for emotion really is. Yeah, because what happens when we l- listen for emotion is we um, – we feel seen, as Marcus said, I feel like you're with me. I don't feel that I'm alone in this. It's when I feel alone in this that creates the toughest conditions for us to build joy and to connect. So the moment you try to fix me and minimize my my feelings without validating, as Marcus said, then I feel alone. Now I'm going to have to defend my turf and fight for my reality because I don't feel like you're getting it. Um, that's where a lot of couples just quickly lose the battle. Um, it's, it's, it's just now, how can I help you feel seen and understood? Even if I don't agree with you, I don't have to agree with you, but I need to, I need to validate and comfort like, wow, you are really upset about this problem, aren't you? What helps when you feel this way? Like, how can we navigate this terrain? Uh, and suddenly I don't feel so alone and you don't feel so alone. And, and there's that sense that we're in this together and that is the game changer for the brain. And for a marriage is we're in this together, no matter how hard this is, I'm glad I'm in it with you. Oh, amen to that. Yeah, I I think exactly what I I can't agree more with both of what you're saying. I mean, the idea is as as individuals, we are often selfish beings. So we're thinking about ourselves. So but in a marriage, we can't really do that. You have to think about your partner. You have to bring them in and you have to make sure you're heard because all of us out there in the world just want to be heard. We want to feel like we're being understood. And when we don't, that's when the frustration comes in. And I remember back as you were telling that story, when me and Megan were in uh, premarital counseling, uh, our pastor talked about how it's almost like you're when you're in an argument and when the other person's talking, you're just loading your gun to be able to like fire off the next thing. And you're not listening to a thing they're saying. And it's just no way to have a relationship. And obviously, we've learned over time that he was absolutely right. And when we get caught up in that, it's all about going back to the drawing board, listening to the other person, knowing you're in it together. So I appreciate all of that. Yeah, that's so good. And and it, as we would all practice what you just said, um, that would be so valuable for our marriages. And And one of the ways my wife and I actually navigate this is what Marcus mentioned earlier about nurturing a rhythm is to quiet ourselves. So when I feel like I'm already loading my gun, so to speak, my emotional gun that I'm going to respond to my wife during an interaction, that's a good time for me to quiet. And so there's times my wife and I will say, Hey, could we just take a moment to catch our breath? Uh, Could we take a moment to pause? You know what? I'm, I'm feeling offline relationally right now. Could we just take a little time? Let's quiet. And I'll tell you, a little bit of quiet also goes a long way for your brain. And so just taking a little pause can can really help preserve the moment, the joy. Oh, yeah. I fully believe in that. I mean, I'm 
totally an introvert. And so I love the quiet. I love the pause. But even in our marriage, it's sometimes a good idea to just step away and recharge and get that, get that mindset right again before you go back to it. So love that. And I wanted to ask you guys, if you could only give one piece of marriage advice to couples listening today, what would that be? I would say keep your keep the on off switch in your brain on. Now, that may take a little explanation, but the key piece of advice is marriage is easier if your switch is on. Um, and the idea is that we all have um, relational circuits in our brain, and there's this on off switch in the brain. And when it's on, our relational circuits are functioning, and I feel like being engaged. Uh, when my relational circuits go off the whole relational part of my brain shuts down. And it's at that point that I find myself just wanting to win, um, just wanting to be left alone, just wanting uh, this problem to go away, uh, just wanting you to get over it. You know, it's like all of those things happen when my switch goes off in my brain. So I've made a, a, it's really been a paradigm changer for me in our marriage. And that is when I would get upset with my wife, Brenda, who, by the way, grew up in Michigan. So we have that connection too. So yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, my, uh, when I, uh, when I get upset with her, it used to be that I would, I would go to the next room and I would just rehearse all the justifications I had for being upset with her. And I will still do that. Um, but now I catch myself and say, wait a second, that's not actually the point. The point here is that, I am malfunctioning, right? Half of my brain is not engaged. <laughs> um, I don't want to be a half-brained person. I want to be a whole-brained person, which means I got to get my switch back on because when my switch is on, the right side of my brain is on and functioning. And when that switch goes off, the right side of my brain kind of shuts down and I turn into a different person. So thinking in terms of, hey, let's live with your switch on makes a big difference. So in, in a practical sense, to take that the question of like, you're going to have a hard conversation. Sometimes, um, Brenda can tell when my switch has gone off because <laughs> I, you know, my face just looks different. You know, I'm not communicating. I'm not, I'm not acting like myself. And she's learned, okay, do we need to do something to connect before we start talking about problems? Too often, we just dive into talking about our problems when our relational circuits aren't on. And uh, when that happens and both of us end up with our relational circuits off, nothing but bad things happen. So that would be my primary, uh, primary advice. And so one of the things that we do about that is we'll sometimes just sit down on the couch together, hold hands, not talk about anything, <laughs> and just sort of remember that we do like each other. And we really do want this marriage to work and we really do want to uh, get through this. And then uh, we kind of quiet together and remind each other we're, uh, that we're happy to be together and then, and then address the problem with our relational circuits on. And we have a completely different conversation. And I would definitely second what Marcus just said. And uh, my advice would be one of the ways to get the relational switch on, which is sit down with uh, a pen and a pencil and a piece of paper. You could use your phone if you want to, but I would want couples to list all the qualities that they like about their spouse. Why did you fall in love with your spouse? What did you see in your spouse? What did you hear? What did you notice? What did you experience in your spouse? Um, and just list those qualities and, and highlight those qualities and think about those qualities. And what that does is it basically not only turns on your brain's relational switch, but it reminds you 
of what's important in the first place because those things get lost when joy levels start to really sink. So make that list. What do you adore in your spouse? What do you respect? What do you like? What do you love in your spouse? And make a very long list and just notice what happens when you do that. And hey, at some point, share that list for goodness sake. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we, Marcus and Chris, we appreciate you guys so much for being on the podcast today. And we know like the information from the exercises you shared and from your book are impacting many marriages and will continue to. But we wanted to ask, how can they find out more? If we have people in the audience that want to know more, want to find out more, uh, we would encourage them obviously to get the book, but how can they find out more about you individually or find you? Well, if they're primarily interested in the marriage book, then I would go to, is it happyhappymarriage.org, right? Happyhappymarriage.org has... um, um, Two op- two options there. One is uh, there is a curriculum, a video curriculum you can download to to use to teach uh, from or to for, to watch. And secondly, there is an online uh, groups that you can actually join that have trained leaders who uh, walk people through there. So both of those options are there. Um, my ministry is Deeper Walk International. You just type it all out. DeeperWalkInternational.org.com get you there. And Chris is thrivetoday.org, right? So thrivetoday.org, and you can find out all you want to do about, uh, uh, they have a fascinating program for helping people build relational skills that they missed growing up. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, those websites, Mark, will get you to Marcus and I, and you can learn more about who we are and what we do. This has been so awesome, you guys. Thank you so very much. We got to go because we got to go practice our eye smiles. but. um, We will definitely catch up later. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, friends. Good to be with you. Hey, B, what did you think of that episode? I think it was pretty dang good. Well, what should someone do if they enjoyed these last 30 minutes? They should probably head over and leave us a review so we can reach more people. They definitely should. Guys, if you like the Fools in Love podcast, please go follow us over on Instagram at Fools in Love podcast. We'd love to connect with you and learn more about what you'd like to hear.